Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. Today my guest is Nash Narasimhan Tupel. He is a digital business leader with over 3 decades of experience in the industry. He is currently the country GM of e-commerce business of HP India. He is also a motorbiker, blogger, photographer and a digital enthusiast. If you are wondering what he is doing on the software people stories, that was the question that he also had. Listen on for the answer and his own story of career transitions. and how he managed different transitions cutting across different business industries and also his career advice and practical tips for anybody starting out or even if you are experienced and you're looking at how to further your career listen on hi nash welcome to the software people stories hi chef nice to talk to you thought i'll answer one question that you asked when we were talking earlier about how do you fit into software saying you're not a typical software man okay but i think anybody who's been associated with software i said as a creator or a consumer is welcome on this show so i see that you've done a lot of things including leveraging both the selling technology which is hardware plus i'm assuming some software solutions as well as using software to serve your customers etc so we can start with your origin story how you got into it and probably your career trajectory of the various things that uh, you've learned you've done and that can be the start of our conversation sure so thanks first for the invite and um, it's a pleasure and yes you're right the world is run by software and you will see in my career how software has played an important role but uh, fundamentally if you see i'm an engineer and an mba who started my career back in 91 so it's almost 30 years i've been working my first job was in naishar in indore in madhya pradesh as a area sales manager of my mba and i was in sales then i moved to a place called musket in oman where i became a product manager for uh, uh, the ford motor companies uh, one of the biggest distributors so i became a product manager um, basically a mechanical engineer so i did a product management job in uh, ford in musket and after that I joined HCL as a product manager. I came back to India and uh, I did two businesses in HCL. I was a country manager for the Toshiba notebook business, but also I handled the HCL's printer business, which is the HP printer business. Because if you remember, at the time HCL and HP had a joint venture. Then I joined a company called Digital Equipment Corporation or DEC, which was a fairly big name at that time. It was the second biggest company next to IBM. For people in the IT industry, will know that it's a huge company. so i joined that company that was the first company i joined which was a huge multinational and i am in the same company that company got acquired by compaq and that compaq company got acquired by hp so technically the day i joined on digital i joined hp right so uh, that was in 97 i joined so when i joined i moved from hcl to digital as a product manager for pc business so i was the category manager or the product manager for their commercial desktops and commercial notebook business and then when compaq acquired hp uh, i mean digital 
surprisingly they chose a guy from digital so i beat the compact guy who was the pc guy actually there at the time but uh, they took me though though i came from the company which made unix boxes right uh, wax vms and all those stuff and uh, in compact i did the business for about 2 or 3 years so essentially i did for the first 4 years in my life in my company hp i did category management or product management then you know the sort of uh, startup bug bit in me but i didn't leave the company but i did something very very close to a startup in the company which is to set up the online store for compact so essentially back in the year 2000 uh, if you remember at that time when cell phones uh, was very expensive like 70 80000 rupees a call was 17 rupees per minute and we had a dial up modem 256 kbps i started the online store for compact much ahead of any flipkart or amazon <laughs> or anything you know which which are, which are all there i remember the only other company which used to sell online there were only two companies one was called times prime or readfreedif.com used to sell they used to sell cakes and flowers and then um, you had the sifi which used to do a little bit of it so i set up and i had a fantastic first year in the first year of operations itself we became the largest e-commerce company in india so in fact uh, i remember in that year i sold just for about 6 crore rupees but uh, uh, sorry 60 crore rupees but then it was a uh, number one it became the number one e-commerce site for about 5 years i lived in singapore i was doing an asia pacific job in the channel marketing area so i did channel business development what we call the solution partner organization for a few years then i came back to india i became the general manager for the technology services business of hp which was uh, the services business if you remember the undivided hp now hp is divided into hp e and inc so basically inc does all the pcs and printers but enterprise was the company which sold server storage services and everything so i ran the ts business for india then we acquired a company called eds which was the second largest services company next to ibm so hp acquired that and hp became the second largest services company in the world and uh, we became a huge company a 110 billion dollar company and uh, so i was in the services business for some time uh, but i became the asia pacific head of marketing for the services business so i was a cmo for the technology services business that job i did for 4 years between 2008 and 2012 and then i did the channel smb and alliances for enterprise business which is a 8 billion dollar big business it's a almost a 10 billion dollar business for which i was the cmo so i did these uh, jobs for about 10 years i was in asia pacific from almost 2003 to 2014 then i wanted to come back to india and do an india job i came back to run the hp inks online store and call center we were still one company at that time so i came back to the pc business of hp at that time which is now called the hp inc and i came to run this online store and call center so that is the correct jo- current job i am doing but in 2018 after 4 years in the job uh, 2019 i got an additional opportunity to be the sort of digital uh, lead for my company as the digital gtm lead so including retail modernization which is uh, retail but still there is a lot of digital modernization in that so i sort of uh, heading that you know also that uh, role i am doing that role so i have two roles currently in my company one is to head the online store basically the online store the call centers the whole web technology engines etc and then the other job is um, i am also the head of digital gtm for uh, hp in india so that's the uh, long story but if i can just summarize in a few things uh, some things which have happened in the 30 years is definitely i have seen 
four mega mergers, digital compact merger, compact HP merger and HP EDS merger, and then a lot of small mergers like Palm and Autonomy and many other companies which Aruba and many other companies our company sort of acquired. So that is one. The other thing is I've been very fortunate in HP to do multiple roles in multiple geographies uh, under multiple managers of different nationalities. I I was an individual contributor for many years, but also I handled teams which are as big as 100 people. I lived in multiple cities like uh, Delhi and Bangalore and Singapore and also in Middle East. Uh, So the career actually has moved, jokingly I say, it has moved across four Cs, uh, basically cars to computers, then to cloud and then to commerce or e-commerce. So essentially... I started with cars. The first five five years, I was in the car business. Then I moved into computers, which is PCs. Then I went into cloud, which is basically the whole of services businesses on the cloud, right? The whole transformation engines. And then finally, I come to commerce, which is basically e-commerce. So that is the long and short of my story, Shiv. If you say this is a short story, then there are a lot of questions. A couple of things which uh, I'm curious about. The first thing, when you talked about the four Cs, probably start with that. When... You were making these transitions in terms of the domains that you were working in. What was your own personal challenges or approaches to quickly get up to speed and continue to say work in your style? A very good question. In fact, some of the changes I've done are really crazy, right? To come from car industry to computer industry or computer industry to doing services, you know, from hardware to services. Uh, services to e-commerce. These are all huge changes, right? So usually what I do when I make such drastic moves, uh, first of all, there are two, three things. One is you need to have that risk appetite to challenge yourself and uh, get out of your comfort zone and do different things. Then only you learn in life. So that is the first thing I would say. I am a sort of an adventure streak. Um, I do biking, you know, uh, in the Himalayas for 10, 15 days at 15,000 feet. So you can imagine I'm still an adventure freak. So I have that sort of adventure uh, orientation in my career also. So I take some few jumps like that. I've been very fortunate. I've survived that, but sometimes it doesn't work out. But if you just see, I don't, I take a calculated risk. I don't do a blind jump. If you see when I moved from car industry to computer industry, the commonality was I was a product manager in both places. I was a product manager in cars. Now I became product manager of notebook computers. The fundamentals of marketing is same in both the places, the four piece product price, place and promotion and all those things are same. But the but the core technology is different. Cars is about internal combustion engines and, uh, you know, horsepower and uh, all those things. Whereas this is about semiconductors and gigahertz and megahertz, right? So, but the four pieces same, right? The product management job is same. Supply chain, planning, getting the right price, promoting it, all that is same. So I moved across the marketing domain, across the industry I went, but the job is same the marketing scene. Okay. Then when I moved from computers to cloud, the company was the same. So it was basically HP, but I moved from one division, which made PCs to another division, which sold enterprise services. So if you see, I had one commonality there, which is basically HP, right? HP, it's the same HP, which I sold hardware. Now I'm going to sell services. Then I moved from services to e-commerce. Once again, I was coming back to many of the learnings which I had in services, which is about actually giving a BCP or business continuity plan, which we always evangelize to our enterprise customers. If you see e-commerce is all about that, right? It is actually giving 24 by 7 online access to buying and, you know, running your call center and 
um, ensuring your logistics and delivery takes place. So I could bring many of the services parameters into running a business like e-commerce. So if you actually see when I moved all those carrier shifts from cars to computers to cloud to commerce, there was always one commonality which I will have, but one uncomfortable factor which I'll have, which will make me learn something new. So that is the way I moved, having calculated risk. It's not a blind risk. It's a calculated risk. You also spoke about uh, the experience of having gone through mergers. One of the aspects in these mergers is the cultural integration, whether it is at the process level or people level, companies. So you have any stories of uh, what worked for you or what probably didn't? Yeah, I'll maybe give two examples uh, on mergers. When digital and compact merged, I remember digital is known as the company which made the alpha processor and the risk. I I know many of the listeners here might not know all that, but uh, digital was one of the last vertically integrated companies. They made everything from silicon to software. They made their own chips alpha. They made their own PCs, own risk machines, own operating system, Wax VMS. They had their own version of Unix and completely the whole technology stack was done by that company. So digital used to pride in the fact that we make some of the most mission critical machines, hot swappable memory, 99.999 availability, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In that company, PC business was almost an afterthought. Okay, PC business was like 10 or 15% of the revenue of the company because they were basically selling servers, storage services and all that and taking care of enterprise clients. And definitely we didn't have a consumer PC business. Okay, we only were in the enterprise PC business. So if you remember the landscape in 97, the cha- and Compaq was the global leader in PC business. So Compaq was the number one PC company in the world at the time. So when Compaq acquired digital, it is almost clear the guy who is a PC product manager in digital will almost lose his job. Because if you had a Compaq product manager for PCs, this guy has no chance to, to actually survive. So I had this thing in front of me. Okay, I'm going to be acquired by the biggest PC company. I'm sitting in the other side, which, which is basically a Unix company or a services company. What should I do? I went to my boss and my boss, a very wise man. He said, Nash, if you're smart and if you do a good job and if your results speak for yourself, they can't ignore you. You know, you might be from digital. You might be from the wrong company, okay, in the business, but they can't ignore you. You won't believe in the next six months, two quarters, you know, digital moved from number four to number two MNC brand. You know, we actually beat companies like HP and Dell and everybody and digital became actually number two only to Compaq, whereas Compaq maintained it. So when when the merger happened, when they're looking at candidates, they saw this guy, you know, this guy who's almost a challenger brand dramatically grew the market share from some 7% to 12% in a span of six months. And, uh, you know, so my results spoke for myself. So actually, when they had to pick the guy for India to run the business, you know, they picked me, though I'm from the digital company, they picked me. And the guy who was actually doing the business earlier, he went into another role in the company. So both of us got placed. So the first thing I learned in a merger was, in merger, while there is a lot of cultural thing, if you are really a good manager, it is also a time for great meritocracy because your old alliances and allegiances doesn't matter and your people will look at things afresh. Okay, so that is the thing I learned that in a merger, merger cannot need not be a cause of worry for somebody who is a very well working or a hard working or a smart guy. So that is the first thing I learned. 
Now, coming to the cultural aspect, I'll give you another example. Okay, when we merged with EDS and uh, HP, EDS was a services company and HP was a very big hardware company. EDS was a $20, $24 billion services company, highly enterprise focused, vertical in nature, selling a lot to government agencies like Pentagon or uh, all those American big companies like GE and all those. HP was more known for its products like printers, PCs, calculators. So I was tasked to be in a team which was to do strategy and planning for the services business. And whenever I had a meeting with any of them, I always found the way people think are very different because of their background. The HP people used to think services as almost an attach or services as something you sell with hardware like servers and storage. Whereas EDS used to think like, Everything starts with services and it so happens that you sell hardware, you know, almost like IBM. EDS used to think like IBM. Mm -hmm. This was a huge cultural disparity, but we had an outstanding leader in Asia Pacific who could actually bring together both very well. And within a span of two months, he really outstanding guy he was. And he really bought the cultures of the two things together and said, hey guys, I know you come with this background, but I want to tell you HP is known for engineering. EDS is great for this. So we'll put these guys in the front end to go and sell solutions. Whereas the HP guys will work in the product team so that they develop actually the category. So actually he made a team, a very good blended team. And I saw in action that if you have good management and if you really have empathy for your team members and if you can take them along, even, uh, you know, it has a huge merger, right? It's a $50 billion company acquiring a $20, $30 billion company. It's an $80 billion business for which a merger has happened, right? But if you have good leadership who's caring and who is blind to things like whether you are from which state or which color, it doesn't, they don't care, right? Or, or whether you're male or female, they really look at your work. And if they can blend the best of strengths, the cultural thing can be an actual advantage. Where you think there is a huge cultural mismatch, it can actually become the most complementary skills that you can ever have, and and you can do that. So I think I think I learned from that second merger, you know, because in in the first merger I was a real small fry, and uh, you know I was trying to retain my job. In the second merger, I was actually a part of a clean room, and I was actually putting together organizational designs and many things with my senior managers. And at that time, you know, I was amazed at the way. The senior managers used to think to get the best of both. So I, I just learned that very important thing in when it comes to matters of culture, you know, it requires a lot of patience and it requires recognizing each of the people's strength and marrying it them and then playing it along. So I think both the mergers for me has been fantastic. I think in both the mergers after the merger, I got promoted. So, so obviously, you know, mergers work for somebody and uh, it had worked for me. Definitely. That's nice to hear, Nash. You did mention you know, the differences in both the business model and the culture, let's yeah. say EDS and HP. And you had also mentioned earlier about the four P's being the same irrespective of what you're selling. Increasingly, from a marketing standpoint, yeah. Yeah, from a marketing standpoint. Yeah. So how do you articulate the value of what you're selling when it is a box? At least somebody gets a box. You can talk about a lot of those specs too. Yeah. If there is also a solution which is usually intangible, was there any shift in terms of your approach or thinking? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. In fact, you know, I've been in hardware business for almost like, if you even count my car experience together, my 30 years, 20 years, I would have spent in hardware. 
some sort of box I would have pushed, whether it's a PC or a printer or a server or a storage or networking or whatever it is, right? So when I first come, came to services and they gave me the job of being the CMO for Asia Pacific as a marketing head, you know, I took some time because I had to lead a team of people who are from so many different nationalities. So in my team, I directly led Japanese and Chinese and Koreans and Australians and all the different sorts of people in Asia Pacific, 22 countries reported to me directly. So when I led that, the first thing I had to actually bring to them is the view that whatever product you sell, eventually people consume it only as a service. If you take, for example, a car, in fact, now it has gotten tremendous popularity with all this Uber and Ola. But if you actually see, even if you buy a car, if you use one hour up, one hour down in a day, two hours or 24 hours you use, so in 10 hours in a week, and you will maximum use maybe 520 hours for 52 weeks. If you actually think about it very patiently, you have paid for the car for 365 days, but you are using the car maybe only for 30 days. Okay. The other 335 days, it is actually sitting mm. in your, in, it is actually sitting idle, right? Mm-hmm. The product mm. is idle by itself and the product is useless when it's idle. Okay. Any product when it's not running is useless. The product serves you, note the keyword, what I'm saying. The product serves you only when you use it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I actually gave this example and I explained to my team that whatever you sell, whether you're selling a server, storage, networking, whatever it is, at the end of the day, if the customer doesn't consume it as a service, the product by itself is a waste. Mm. And this concept sort of stuck on to them because many of them came from a hardware background. They didn't come from an EDS background, right? They came from the HP background, which was more like hardware, right? Okay. So the moment you just told them, you know, like it's a service and then everything in the world, what you see every day is a service, whether it's a phone which you use, which is basically a cellular service or a cable TV, which you use, it is a service, right? At the end of the day, you know, it's a cable service, right? To the So essentially I made them understand it in very, very simple words. Like you can either get a gas cylinder in your home to make cooking, or you can get piped gas. If you're getting piped gas, it's a service. If you get a gas cylinder, it's a product. Okay. Mm, okay. So, so I made it very easily understandable to my team that service is what is consumed okay and product is what is bought okay so there's a fundamental difference services are always consumed right you can never it's tangible it's intangible right you can only consume it okay so when i made this clear to them and i told i have written an article which says the four p's of marketing have changed for services business it's somewhere on the web if you google it you'll get it so essentially, I said there are three more pieces which need, you need to add to become a very good services marketing person. So apart from product, price, place, and promotion, which we use for products, in services, you have to add three things. You have to add process, people, and proof. So if you actually see very good companies who do marketing of services will market their processes, will market their people, and will talk about their proof. So if you see any company which is big in services, be it an Accenture or HP or IBM or Infosys, they will say, or a Wipro, they will say we are SEI CMM certified or we are ideal for engineers. So many we have, or we have so many people who are Cisco trained engineers. So essentially what they're taking, they're saying, I am good with my process. Okay. It is not a fluke. It is not a fluke by which I deliver this support. It is a project management team, which is very good in process. So I am, they are, they are brandishing their 
uh, whatever SEICMM and all that. Okay, that is the process. Second is people. They make heroes out of their consultants. If you see very very big companies, they in fact I did a campaign where I made all the HP services people who who support big automobile companies, big banks. I used to make them heroes. And when we write the quarterly newsletter or we used to publish the newsletter, their photo will be in the front page. Okay. And I will say this is consultant number X who is very good in SAP, and this is consultant. Consultant Y, who is very good in uh, networking. So these people have done million-dollar transformation projects for this bank X Y Z in Australia, or for this uh, manufacturing company in Korea. So mm-hmm. that is how I used to make a hero out of the people. As long as that people with 25 years experience is sitting in that company, that company will always get the contract okay. because the customer will go not for HP or IBM, but he'll say, "Hey, does your project manager have any experience in doing a?" a bank transformation or has he done anything in uh, uh, automobile business you will say yes this guy has done for five companies and yours is the sixth company and straight away he will give because of the people and the third is proof proof means testimonials let's assume uh, i've seen this fantastic examples of it in outside companies uh, but but you know simply if a big customer like a boeing or a ge uh, who runs a very mission critical operation comes and says you know what i mean tc ictc is doing this very often to say that in fact their campaign used to say something like uh, certainty basically if you are given the job to tcs it's done it is certain it will be done okay so that is the sort of message they gave mm. and when you have huge mission critical uh, organizations like boeing where if you go something wrong in boeing you know it's an air crash and you lose lives Okay, it's not just data loss; it's people loss. If you go something like railways, uh, we used to do for railways, where you know the entire wax BMS was the backbone for uh, you know Indian railways, which is done by digital, which is now part of HP. So when we did the mission critical support for Indian railways, which is basically like in a day, some ten thousand trains go, and if you don't do the switching system correctly, it will cause accidents and real loss of life in people. So we used to tout that what we have done for Indian railways. is mission critical mm. we also did at that time for bombay stock exchange which used to have 800 transactions a second that means in a minute you have more than 10000 transactions in a minute mm. used to say that runs on tandem which is basically a non stop kernel which compaq acquired and, and then compaq got acquired by hp we used to tout about customers like indian railways and bombay stock exchange which are running intensely mission critical operations you can't even have a one second downtime in these companies okay mm. it's not like a bank in a bank if something goes of course now banking is 24 hours where you have to do online transaction but in those days in 15 10 years back you know if if the bank server was down by 10 minutes nothing will happen but try doing that with stock exchange or railways you know you'll you'll have mayhem you know so why i'm saying this is you have to talk when you do the marketing you have to go beyond on the four piece and going to process people and proof uh, that is what i actually wrote and i actually presented in one of the summits also in a marketing summit about this so i think that is the difference you know we had to see essentially shiv if you see simplicity first first you have to make things simple if you if you actually make services complex people will run away from you if you make it simple everybody will understand okay so you have to make it simple yeah i'm going to ask probably a kind of a controversial question Sure. This being the software people stories, yeah. What has been your experience of working with software people or software teams when you had all these plans for you talked about the e-commerce 
portal or leveraging technology and selling these intangibles as services and all that there is a reliance on the software teams delivering your imaginations yeah so what have been some things that work and what have been some of your irritations so, so that talk, we can learn i will i will talk from it from two angles one software companies as a partner okay of a big company like hp mm-hmm. and second software companies as a vendor where i am the consumer of goods mm-hmm. okay Mm. So now let's talk partner. When I was a CMO, I was also head of channel SMB and alliances. So if you look at my alliance companies, my alliance companies were SAP, Oracle, all these companies which make Adobe, all these which make software. So when HP goes and provides a solution, the software companies like SAP and Oracle and all these companies make software actually become a very important part of the final. solution we offer to the customer okay or an infosys which is finacle for example they had a product called finacle or citibank and iq mm-hmm. so when you add all these products you know these are all software companies on their own they will do that pitch but when they have a big company like hp coming with them and with our solution architects and with our consulting engineers and we go and talk about that it takes a completely different view so you know i view them as a huge partner there okay now if i come as a customer like for example now i am running a e-commerce store where maybe i take aws or azure or i take products like magento which is a part of adobe or whatever it is you know i can take microsoft dynamics which is a, a smb software crm software or salesforce.com i'm just giving examples you know as a, if you run an e-commerce store you are going to use a lot of software okay right now here i <laughs> i will jokingly say the sales person is irrelevant actually in software you don't need a sales person you need customer success manager or a delivery manager he is the most important guy okay mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the software by itself can be treated like a product or it can be treated like a service correct it's a amphibian animal if you treat it like a product you are doomed to fail and people used to earlier feel that software can be commoditized software can be pro- what is the dream of every software company is to commoditize the software make it downloadable and then walk away and get 1 dollar each for million downloads and make million dollars that is the dream of every software company but even in the cheapest software suppose you buy a 1500 dollars mcafee antivirus or you buy a 5000 rupees windows home and student edition even in the cheapest software if the product doesn't perform if the product doesn't perform if it doesn't perform what it is supposed to do it will be a disaster mm. and the reason why a microsoft office is very popular today or a mcafe antivirus is very good or acrobat is good is not just because of their product knowledge or the genius of the software it is what happens when the customer has a problem are they able to take care and they take care of it well and this applies in 50 dollar software this applies in 500 million dollar software also when you go to sap every new version of sap you will have sap consultants who will take care of the customer who will actually ensure the product is rolled out well mm. and they are taking care of well okay pre sales solution architects post sales delivery people post sales customer success people i currently use a lot of software in my online operations and i can tell you I don't even know who is the guy who sold that to me. I know all the guys who who maintain that as delivery, and sometimes I even call them on Saturday night at eleven o'clock if I have a problem on the website. If they pick up my call at eleven, that company is a good software company. That is the, in my view, the definition of what software is. Software is nothing but a service. Once mm-hmm. the coders write the software and walk away, it is only a service for the customer. So that is how I see it. I might be wrong, but I am talking both from a 
customer standpoint and from a vendor standpoint. Yeah, there's nothing right or wrong. It is just that I wanted to understand as a consumer of software services, what is it that uh, the software professionals need to look out for or can aspire for, etc. I think so, they just have to look out at only one thing, the customer usage patterns and uh, what are the problem areas and keep on fixing those bugs and making it better and better and better. They simply have to keep their versions most up to date and most customer friendly. That is the number one thing a software person has to take care of. Uh, Nash, one of the questions that I like to ask all our guests is the career advice for young people. So I'd like to have your thoughts on that. Sure. I mean, I mean, I'm no great pundit to say this, but I have sort of somehow been made it fairly reasonably successfully in our industry. So I would just say three things work for me and maybe this might work for most of the people. The first thing for me is you have to have the courage to go after your passion and you have to keep on reinventing and be the best version of yourself. So this is the first advice I'll give to anybody. I wanted to get into electronics and communication engineering when I was very young. I couldn't make it. I made it into the next best branch, which is mechanical. For the first five years, you know, when I was in the auto industry, I used to always get excited about what is happening in the computer industry, right? And even in automobiles, I used to think of what is happening. In, and when I got the first opportunity to come back to India and get a HCL, in a role in HCL, even though that role was one step junior to what I was doing in abroad and the salary was much lesser, I simply jumped at the opportunity because it was my area of passion. My passion was to be in computer industry. My passion was to be in hardware, to be in software. And for me to come out of auto industry and come into IT industry, which is my area of passion, was something what was one of the biggest decisions I've taken in my life. And after that, I only did one thing. I kept on reinventing myself and becoming better and better and better and better. Every five years, I'll find the next, next big opportunity and keep moving and becoming the best version of myself. So the first thing I would say as an advice is never sacrifice your passion. Never live life with regret. Always go after your passion. Okay. Whatever it is. You want to do baking. You want to do car driving. You want to do, um, you know, you want to be a wildlife enthusiast. Whatever you feel like doing, you should do. Because when you do that, you actually become the best in that. Okay. So, so that can happen only when you're really passionate about it. That's the first advice I'll give. The second thing I would say is in career, always look for satisfaction and not success. You should look at satisfaction and not success. What is the difference? Satisfaction, success is how others evaluate you. Satisfaction is how you evaluate yourself. An example of success would be title, your position, your salary, how big your house is, how big your car is whether you're a CEO, whether you're an MD, all these things are all success, trappings of success. Satisfaction is when you go home every day, do you feel, have you been of service to others? Am I doing a job which gives me happiness? Do the people around me respect me? Uh, am I with team members who are really good team members? Is Are things like honesty, integrity, and being the best version of yourself and being excellent, these are things valued. If you see all these are what is called satisfaction measures, not success measures. You can be extremely successful and living a life of hell. Whenever I read, uh, you know, this guy was a CEO of a company, he died of an heart attack or, <laughs> you know, this guy was this and that, he did a suicide, you know, somebody in Cass Coffee Day who had 10,000 crores of assets, you know, he, he, he killed himself, you know, because maybe he was not happy, right? So what is the point of having 10,000 crores of assets when you can't be happy, okay? So being satisfied is a very important thing for me compared to satis uh, success. And the third advice I'll give is do your job as an act of service, okay? And the rewards will be immense. 
always know many people make this mistake of saying i need to earn money i need to become a director i need to become a general manager i need to become a vp i need to become a md when you approach your job like that okay you will only have partial success it is good to have motivation you know when I, when i started young i'll tell you i wanted to be a ceo by 30 years okay it never happened you know uh, it helped me to that extent to maybe get a job in hcl and into digital and mnc then i realized how small i am compared to industry heavyweights who are working in my industry and i've written a separate post on what i learned from my seven managers in linkedin seven great managers i had including som metal who was the nascom chief he was my manager and what did i learn from those people when i realized that how small i am you will realize that what do you want to become you want to become a ceo by 30 and uh, be a high strung guy or you want to actually grow your career in a nice way so when i increasingly started looking at people who have really made it big okay and this is across industries i'm not talking about just it industry if you take for example devi shetty who is one of the greatest uh, heart surgeons or if you actually take many people like that narayan murthy or ratan tata if you take all these people if you see their purpose they achieve their greatness because they do their job as an act of service ratan tata created the nano car because he saw four people a family of four on a scooter in a rain and he said wow there are so many people who have a complete family of four with two kids sitting in a rain in a scooter i have to make a car which is available for 1 lakh rupees so that people don't have to buy a scooter it's a different story that nano didn't take off but look at all this new products now it's fantastic it's doing very well i'm very proud of uh, what ratan tata and his team and tata motors have done look at what they have done you know and they have now bought big basket and the and the group is growing up and up and and, and look at all the work that tata group has done in the last whatever you know 50 years you know right from uh, in fact there was a survey which said the greatest philanthropist of the 20th century is not some rockefeller or ford foundation it is actually jamshed ji tata in real value there was a survey globally okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so why why i'm saying that is that man did iasc as a service and iasc today is one of the best institutions okay so look at the orientation look at devi shetty he went and said to all the people he is not trying to make money to become the narayan it will have to be the biggest hospital in the world he is saying how i can deliver a heart operation where in foreign countries cost 8 lakh rupees for 80000 rupees in india because there are millions of people in india who need a heart surgery and who cannot pay so much okay and he really see the see the kindness in his heart and for all is whatever people say about mukesh ambani that man said i want indians to get connected on 4g and i am going to give a 4g service literally free of cost for one year he absolutely demolished many competitors and only there are three companies now but look at what he has done he has made the 4g and the internet so cheap and his motivation was what to actually make every indian connect to a internet and look at how in 3 years he got 400 million customers okay if he, he and and he is the richest guy in india but he didn't start by saying i want to be the richest guy in india he started and he is a pure hydrocarbon guy he is not even a digital guy he is not even a software guy he is a chemical engineer with petroleum background but why is he doing it so well because he came with an act of service he wanted to give that as an act of service look at what nandan nilakani did for adar he didn't take one rupee salary from the company but adar is something even after congress has gone and bjp has gone we are only using that that stack what he built that upi stack is what we use even now anything big in the world are always done by people who do jobs as an act of service it might yield results 
it might not yield results but people will always remember the people who put what do you call purpose of our profit and i would like to end by saying only one thing one of the reasons why i am still in hp for the last 25 years and not left this company is because if you see bill hewlett and day packard what they have done for the industry for this industry and how many patents they have given it for free so that they didn't make any money on it they simply said take all these patents let it be under ieee i don't want it we found out led we found out usb we never patented we just said go ahead do it let everybody use it because i want everybody to use usb i want everybody to use led i want everybody to use the scientific calculator this people bill hewlett and day packard and and look at the uh, memo what steve jobs writes about bill hewlett saying at 12 years steve jobs calls up bill hewlett and he says uh, you know i am a 12 standard boy i want a, i want to create a gaming computer i just understand you are the ceo of this company called uh, of a company called hp can you give me this uh, $10 thing free of cost because my father is not giving me any money so what bill hewlett says to steve jobs is he doesn't even know who is steve jobs he's a kid 12 year old kid he says okay come over to my factory on sunday and i'll help you then he comes to the factory the factory in palo alto he shows the entire floor to to steve jobs who is a 12 year old kid and this guy is the ceo of hp bill hewlett he says hmm. Hmm. kid kid in this floor there are more than 12000 electronic components you can pick up anything and go home it's free of cost for you <laughs> okay and this guy like you know like a kid in front of a candy shop he picks up a lot of items and he says thank you mr uh, bill hewlett i'm going home and building the pc so he goes home and builds the first whatever gaming device he does Mm. then bill hewlett passes away and all that you know then then you know steve jobs does this uh, he starts he's thrown out of his own company you know that right he's thrown a kick out of apple and he goes and starts a company called next where he's building a big uh, um, you know a new computer and that computer fails miserably because he makes a 4000 dollar computer which is almost akin to gold in price and people it's the most technologically advanced with water cooling and every goddamn thing you can think of in a computer but it doesn't take off in sales and mm. the company goes bankrupt and you know who is the first guy he calls he calls mm. bill hewlett mm-hmm. and he says on behalf of all entrepreneurs in silicon valley i want to apologize to you because you know the the place where bill hewlett and dave packard started the company is called the the garage mm. or it's called the birthplace of the silicon valley it's a california national monument okay it's it's a birthplace of the silicon valley okay so when you're talking to bill hewlett you're talking to a founding father of silicon valley so he went and apologized steve jobs said on behalf of all founders i feel very bad that i have let a company like next fall down and apple fall down for that bill hewlett gives a classic response he says failure is part of success okay it's okay steve you lost it you will make it some other day and then bill hewlett dies after one or two years he doesn't see steve jobs come back and become a very big guy but then steve jobs when when he becomes a very big guy again he thanks all the people and he gives a stanford uh, university speech you should see in before two years before he dies he gives a speech a convocation address in which he thanks everybody in the silicon valley who has helped him starting from andy grove mm. of intel to bill hewlett and so many people who the environment the silicon valley environment and you know he does something which is very very close to him hp splits up and then he the office in which he went as a 12 year old boy and took the the factory in which he went and took the electronic equipment that comes up for sale because hp is sort of consolidating all their offices and he tells his finance guy whatever be the price you pay for it and get that place that will be the place where i'll build the apple's new apple. campus mm. 
and then he acquires the apple's current current building which is a 5 billion dollar round building which is the apple's headquarters in cupertino is actually where hp's factory was before oh and he bought that simply because of that goodwill mm. why i'm saying it is just imagine the power the power of doing selfless acts whether it's ratan tata or mukesh ambani or bill hulet or azim prem ji or azim prem ji is by the way the india's largest philanthropist he has given the most amount of money if you see if you see the top 10 philanthropists in india it will be azim prem ji shivnadar and all these people and do you know in his real life he is a big kanjus i believe he will he, given a chance he will go in uh, you know economy class and not in uh, business class even though he is a ceo yeah but look at that guy's heart when it comes to giving money he absolutely has gone and given more than 90% of his wealth to 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 the thing right so anybody who does his job okay as an act of service to fellow human beings and fellow people the power is infinite actually for the day. and whether you are in software or hardware or services it doesn't matter the moment you do your job as an act of service like for example i run an online store i do it as an act of service because somebody can be really an example i'm just giving there's one lady who wrote to me once she has she is a she makes recipes you know all these recipes and she makes books and she is running a small uh, business of her own she has an invalid child she actually wrote this for me once in in uh, in bombay she is in bombay i don't want to give her name but she had a child who was immobile and and she had to she is a single mom her husband is no more she had to take care of the single child and she actually cannot go out of the house at all but she has a printer at home she wrote so i wrote a mail to all my customers when we completed 5 years of operations in 2019 i think 2013 we started so 2018 i wrote a mail to all my customers one on one saying dear mr shiv thank you for buying in hp i want to say that your store has completed now 5 years and i look forward to uh, you know doing business with you here is a 500 rupees gift voucher you can go and buy on some of my whatever mm-hmm. it is something mm-hmm. like that i wrote a mail which are sort of sent to over 1 lakh customers but i individually greeted 1 lakh customers okay it's a it's a mail merge which functionality i did this lady saw it and she replied there are many people who wrote back to me in the 1 lakh people some 5000 people wrote back to me so this lady wrote back to me a sweet note saying dear mr nasiman thank you very much for writing to me you know i am one of your many thousands of customers she didn't even know it's lakhs of customers for hp but one of the thousands of customers but i want to thank you for the service of delivering cartridges to the home <laughs> okay mm mm-hmm. because for the last 5 years every 3 months whenever my cartridge goes i order on an online store and one day it comes to my house okay. and i don't have to go out of my house so i have an invalid child and due to which i am not able to go out of my house your service online service is a god sent thank you very much god bless you that's all i still have that mail with me i'll tell you whenever i feel like when i have very down days and very difficult days i look at that mail and i'll say if i can even make one customer happy forget them millions we do okay in sales but if i can make one customer happy with my online service like this that is enough for me i don't need anything more that is job satisfaction for me it is not revenue growth it is not sales it's not profits the job satisfaction for me is handling that one customer who otherwise cannot go out and you are actually providing an essential service to that person that is what makes so whenever you do this is my third advice whenever you do your job when you do it as an act of service the power is immense and the rewards is immense so in summary three things courage to go after your passion look for a job satisfaction rather than job success and then do your job as an act of service 
if you do these three you know nothing can stop you in your career actually yeah thanks a lot nash for uh, all your insights experience i'm sure that uh, our listeners will have a lot of triggers you know based on whatever you have shared so thanks a lot sure i hope it helps at least a few of them thank you very much again We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast@pm-powerconsulting.com.